0: Okay, have you signed up for 5 2 training yet? Some of you, that's the third time you've seen that video, and you still haven't done it. So go ahead and sign up. Uh, we want everyone in the church family to take this. If you're volunteering in any way, it's really important that you go through this training. If you hope someday to volunteer here or you're looking for ways to get connected, go through this training. I think there's a lot more to it than uh, just uh, a, a volunteer training. So what, what we want to do is help uh, equip everyone in our church family. Uh, to be people who live lives that point others to Jesus. So we talk about praying for one here all the time. I hope you join me in praying for one opportunity, one person every day to cross my path that I can point to Jesus. And if I'm gonna be able to actually step through that door when God opens it, then I'm going to need to be the best follower of Jesus I can be. And so that's what this training is helping us do, is really uncover how to follow Jesus consistently in daily life and be ready for the opportunities that he gives us, whether that's serving others or or pointing people to Jesus or a combination of a lot of different things. So sign up for 5-2 training. You can do it on the app. Did, Did everybody download the app just now? No? You should? Go ahead and do it. we got some claps for it. Uh, the goal is to shut our Wi-Fi down by, by so many people trying to download the app. So, But you can also f- sign up for 5-2 training on there. I'll let you play around with that. If I see you playing with your phone during the sermon, I'm going to assume you're messing with the app. So this is a great time also for Angry Birds addicts and Clash of Clans people to go ahead and get away with something this morning. Okay? That's your permission. Uh, let's jump into the message uh, for today. We, we're continuing a series we started last week called Fixer Upper. And the idea is that, uh, you, you know what a fixer-upper is, right? It's a house that you, you might want to buy. You're looking at to either flip or maybe you're going to live in it. And it, it's got a lot of potential. It's got good bones, is what they say, right? Or it's in a great location. But it needs some work. You look at it and you think, man, I, I don't think I could live in it as it is. But if we did some work, maybe this, this could be a great house. And I think that we are fixer-uppers, that you're a fixer-upper and I'm a fixer-upper. We've got, we've got good bones. I mean, we were created in the image of God with infinite dignity and value and worth. But we need some work. I, I mean, we, if we were being really honest, there there's some flaws in, in our lives that we would really like to get sorted out. And so we're, we're fixer-uppers. So how, how are we going to take this thing that we have, this life, this heart, this this, this world that we live in and, and, and make something out of it that's, that's worth inhabiting. So uh, today we're going to talk about our, the foundation of our fixer-upper, right? When you're, when you're looking at these, these homes and you're, and you're trying to decide, is this a good investment? You, you have an inspection done usually, and the inspector is supposed to tell you if, pro- if you've got a leak in the pipes or there's a wiring issue or some things that need to be changed. Um, and one of the things that the inspector can, can bring back to you that would really get your attention is if he says, the foundation is broken. You, you, you would kind of sit up and take notice of that. In fact, for most people, that would be an automatic, no thank you, I, I'm really not going to invest in the house that has a broken foundation. It just sounds too expensive, and I'm not sure it's worth really trying to fix. A broken foundation is a, is a major problem uh, when you're looking at investing in a home. But what about in your life? If, if you have a broken foundation in your life, what, what can that do to your home? It can, it, it can cause things to just collapse. It, may, maybe you are aware that there's a, a unique phenomenon that happens in, in the, mostly in the South, Florida and Texas and Louisiana, but uh, it's really really popular in Florida now for your house to cave in into a sinkhole. Have you heard of, heard of this? A uh, sinkhole happens when water gets in the bedrock, which in, in the South a lot of it is limestone, and it erodes the bedrock and creates cavities that you can't see and you can't predict, and someday that cavity could just collapse. And if there's a house on top of it, guess what's happening? Can you imagine walking, driving into your driveway and, and, and seeing that? And you're like, wait, my house just fell into a hole in the ground that wasn't there before. Uh, people in Florida are sort of aware that this is a possibility, and, and they've tried to figure out a lot of ways to predict, you know, is this, is this house, is there a sinkhole that could form underneath this house? But they're really hard to predict hard to diagnose, so people just kind of buy sinkhole insurance and hope for the best. Sounds like a great way to invest in your home, right? You just never know if your house is going to fall into the big hole in the ground. And I, I wonder if some, somehow that's, that's us. We, we don't really see the foundation. We can't really tell what's underneath all the time. We don't take a lot of time, most of us, to be really introspective, you know, to kind of go, what, what is going on in my soul? Do you, do you ask that question every day? Most people don't. You know, what, how, is, how is my foundation? But we're all, we've all got this potential, that, that there are things developing and, and happening underneath the surface that could cause a collapse. How do you, how do you prepare for that? What, what do you do? How do you make sure that, that your house is not going to come crashing down? Uh, Jesus has something very clear to say to us about this in Matthew chapter 7. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and open to Matthew 7. You can find that uh, on the app in the notes there or um, there's a Bible in front of you. You can follow along on the screen. Matthew chapters five, six, and seven uh, is a, a, a teaching of Jesus that we call the Sermon on the Mount, and and it is this one cohesive message. But you also see pieces of this pop up in the other Gospels, and you you kind of get the sense when you read through the teachings of Jesus that this sermon was kind of Jesus's go-to message. This was his go-to core teaching, and he probably repeated these things over and over again throughout the course of his teaching. And so we, we look at this as a, a, a gateway into what did Jesus really want us to know. And Matthew chapter 7, is Jesus kind of landing the plane on this, this message? And in this chapter, we get three uh, illustrations for what it's like to choose Jesus. First of all, he talks about a wide gate and a narrow gate. So he says there's, there's a wide gate, and a lot of people are going to go through the wide gate, but that way leads to destruction. There's a narrow gate, and just a few people are going to go through the narrow gate, and that way leads to life. Then he talks about good fruit and bad fruit. and He says there, there are good trees, and those good trees are going to produce good fruit, and there are bad trees. And let me tell you something, you're not going to get good fruit out of a bad tree, so you judge a, a tree by its fruit. If the fruit's good, the tree's good. If the fruit's bad, the tree is bad. There's only two options, wide gate, narrow gate, good fruit, bad fruit. And I think what Jesus is doing for us here is helping clear up a misunderstanding that many of us have about our faith. We kind of see faith as a spectrum. Well, I can, I can either not believe in God at all, say, I don't, I don't think there is a God, or I can believe in God and just not really interact with him, or I can, I can actually say I believe in Jesus and, and get baptized and, and kind of punch my ticket to heaven, or I can be a person who, who kind of you know, I might read the Bible occasionally and I might pray some, or I can be all the way on the other end of the spectrum and, and we call those people uh, pastors and, they, and their whole life is about Jesus, right? Well, and I could be anywhere on this spectrum. Jesus kind of says in these three illustrations at the end of this core sermon that he preaches that, that that's, that's an illusion. There, there's not really a spectrum. There are two, two options. There's a wide gate and a narrow gate. There's good fruit or there's bad fruit. And then he's in the passage we're going to look at today, there's there's why there are wise builders and there are foolish builders. There, there are not really t- multiple choices. And uh, we in America don't really like that. We like to have a menu of things to choose from and can I can I select my own level of spirituality? I would just like to I would like to be at a comfortable level for me. You know, the level that I'm kind of okay with it doesn't interrupt my life, it doesn't interfere with, you know, my plans. Can, can, that's the, I want to pick a men, that off the menu. And Jesus says, okay, there's a menu, and there's either, there's either wise or foolish. There's either a wide gate or a narrow gate. There's either good fruit or bad fruit. Those are your only, your only choices. So uh, let's, let's pick up here in Matthew 7:24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So Jesus says, You're, "You've got two choices: you can build on the rock, or you can build on sand." And and this this illustration is pretty easy for us to understand. We we kind of get that he's talking about our lives. We're building our lives. That's our house. And, and our foundation is, is the guiding principle or the big why. Why do you do the things you do? Why are you the way that you are? Why do you make these decisions? Why do you love these people? Why do you give this money? Why do you do what you do? That, that answer to that question, why, that's our foundation. And Jesus says there's only two choices. There's the rock that is hearing and obeying the words of Jesus. And there's the sand, which is everything else. Any other answer. To the question why that is not Jesus is sand. And Jesus says, in your life, as you're building this house, storms are going to come. Rains are going to fall. Winds are going to blow. And when that storm comes, you'll know. You'll know what kind of foundation you're building on. Because otherwise, how do you know? You can't see the foundation of your house. when When was the last time you looked at the foundation of your house? Probably not very recently. You can't really see it. But you can see the effects of it. If you walk in uh, to a fixer-upper property and you see a crack that starts on this wall and it goes all the way up and then it goes, it goes over the ceiling and it comes all the way down the other side, you're going, wait, wait a minute. We may have a foundation problem in this house because I see these cracks. That, that's how I know that the foundation is probably probably broken. Same thing in our lives. How do you know if, you're, if your foundation is on the rock or if you're building on sand? Well, there might be some cracks in your character. I'm not just talking about mistakes that you make or, or you just had a bad day. I'm talking about things that show up over and over again. Cracks in your character. Do you have a habit, a history of hurting people that you love? Do you, do you tend to lie to cover up things that you don't want other people to know or to make yourself sound better? Do you sometimes gossip so that you feel kind of superior or better than others do you sometimes just do the least that you can possibly do to get by because uh, you really at heart you're sort of lazy and you and you find you're not really contributing do you, are, are, these, are these cracks showing up in your character has anybody ever said that to you or have you really in your most honest moments you thought i i, I have done the same thing again i thought i knew better i thought I, I thought i was better than that i thought i had conquered this i thought i was beyond this but I'm doing the same things over and over again. Maybe that's a crack in your character that is an indication of a broken foundation. So what, what are some ways that, that we fall into these, these cracks? What are some of these sand traps, if you will? Uh, I, I think there are a few things that, that we kind of base our lives on, some, some ways that we think about life that can uh, be indicators of a, a poor foundation. One is if if you think, if I could just change my circumstances, this, whatever circumstance you're in, if it's, it's the job that you're in or the place where you live or your, you know, your education or your marriage or your family, if I could just change my circumstances, then I, 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 would, I would stop making bad decisions. You know I would, I, I would stop hurting the people around me. If I could just change my circumstances, then I, I would have peace and joy. If God would just change my circumstances, and maybe that's how we pray, is God, if you would just fix this problem in my life, I would probably do a better job following you and worshiping you if you would just fix this thing that's this holding me back. I, I would suggest that's a, that's a crack in your character. That's a, that's a poor foundation. If, if maybe you think, if the people around me were just better people, if, if, if she would, would just tell me the truth, if he would just actually love me and open up, if the people around me were just better people, then, then that, that would solve my problems. I would, I would stop making dumb decisions and I would, I would stop sabotaging my own life with my choices and I'd have peace and joy if the people around me were just better people. God, God, why don't you just change them? You know, why don't you fix them? If you would fix them, everything would be fine. That's a, that's a poor foundation. It's building on sand. Or, or maybe uh, yours is, is about your resources. And you think, if I just had more resources, if I had more time, if I just had more time, I, I, I'd stop making bad decisions. I'd, I'd actually be able to love and be kind and generous to people. I just don't have time. If I had more money, if I had more money, then I would have so much less stress and worry and I'd sleep better at night and I'd just, I'd, I'd just be a better person all around if I just had more money. If I had more talent and, and, and I had a better way to contribute, I'd be so much better off. I, I, that would solve all my problems. God, why don't you just give me more? God, would you, would you give me more money so, so that I can have peace? Would you, would you somehow give me more time? I'm going to need eight days this week, if you don't mind. It's a poor foundation. Changing our circumstances or changing the people around us or changing our level of resources, God never promised any of that. God and actually, Jesus' teaching kind of indicate that, that pursuing those kind of changes doesn't lead to the life that he created us to live. It doesn't lead to peace and joy and purpose. In fact, pursuing those kind of changes do the exact opposite. Instead of peace, you get anxiety because you're trying to control things that are out of your control. Instead of joy, you get fear because you, you don't know what the future holds and, and you're afraid it's going to be terrible. Instead of purpose, you get desperation and discouragement. But Jesus' way, he says very clearly at the beginning of this passage, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them. It's not enough just to hear. We think, well, I, you know, I, I checked my box, I showed up on Sunday, and I listened to that guy talk for, it was 35 minutes last week. I mean, when is he going to get that thing down under 30? I mean, I thought that, was the, thought that was the rule. I've heard enough sermons. You've heard enough sermons? You don't, Listen. I, this sabotages my own job in the way that I provide for my family. You don't need another sermon. You need to actually do what you've heard in all the sermons that you've already heard. If you did that, you'd be fine. And, and we wouldn't have to do this every week. And we could just come and we could sing the whole time. No more sermons. Yeah, I heard some cheers. All right. <laughs> Thank you very little. Thought I had friends. Okay. That's the truth. Most of us have been to church enough that we are educated far beyond our capacity to obey. It's not that we don't know what we're supposed to do. We just don't do it. Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and you do them, you're a wise man and you're building your house on the rock. If you hear these words of mine, if you hear all these sermons and all these messages, if you read all of the scripture, listen to all the podcasts, and you don't do what you've heard, you're like a foolish person. What's foolishness? Foolishness is refusing to acknowledge the world as it really is. Refusing to acknowledge reality. And to say, I think I can build a house on sand and be just fine. I know Jesus has some good things to say. He seemed like a pretty good guy. But that can't be the only way. I think maybe there's another way. And and I'm going to try things a different way. And I'm pretty sure I can... I can build a house on sand, and I'm, I'm going to be just fine. That's foolish. Because the storms are going to come. And when they come, the house on the sand is going to fall. And great will be the fall of it. <clears throat> and so I don't, I don't want to, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom guy. But you've, you've had storms, haven't you? You, you? You've had things that have happened in your life that have shaken you, that, that have Challenged your foundation some of you maybe, maybe something happened that shook your faith completely and you began to wonder if God is really good and if he's really powerful because of the storms that come upon you and as long as you're still breathing there's probably another storm around the corner what is that going to do to your life when it comes how are you going to hold up how's your house going to weather that well, you'll know. You'll know what kind of foundation you have when the storm comes. It'll reveal everything. It's, we have these, these cracks in our character that reveal our foundation. So, the way to, to build on a firm foundation is not different circumstances. It's not God change the people in my life. It's not, it's not God give me more resources. It's change my heart, change me. That, that's how I open the door to a firm foundation. And Jesus gives us some clues to how to do that in this sermon. So in the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, "Look, let me teach you how to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Matthew 6.10. When we pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done, that is essentially praying that my kingdom and my will doesn't matter. Only your kingdom and your will. He continues later in this chapter, same chapter, same sermon. He begins to talk about worry and he says, very helpfully, don't worry. Isn't that helpful? Huh? When was the last time somebody said that to you? Did you smack him? Because that's kind of what we want to do. Oh, don't worry. Thanks so much. I didn't think of that. If I'd only thought to stop worrying. So Jesus says, don't worry. And we go, oh, thanks a lot. We heard that before. But Jesus is smart enough to know. That you need more than that. So he says, instead of worrying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. So he said, when you say, God, your way, not mine, your will, not mine, your kingdom, not mine, you are opening the door for Jesus to change your heart. Because what we really need to build on a firm foundation is a different heart. We're kind of born with this default setting, where our heart says, my will and my way. And what I need comes first. And Jesus says, you need a different heart. And here's how you do that. You need to begin to trust and trust more and more every day that Jesus's words and Jesus's way is what's best for you. So when we, when we take stock, when we look really closely at our life and our behavior and we we start to recognize that maybe we've got a foundation problem. These cracks in our character keep showing up. How much do you really trust that God's word and his way is what's best for you? I uh, did some reading about this building in New York City this week. It's called the Citigroup Building. It's one of the tallest buildings in New York, (coughs) but it's on stilts. Anybody think that's weird? Okay, me too. The reason why it's on stilts is because when they got ready to build this building in the 1970s, there was a church there before, an old church. Uh, The architect of of the new building said, uh, his his name was William Le Messurier, probably, and he said that this building was an eyesore in the community, agree to disagree, Um, and it needed to come down, and we're going to put this skyscraper there, so... The city group bought the lot, but they had to make a deal with the, the, the people who owned the church. And the people who owned the church said, okay, you can tear this old eyesore down, but you've got to build us a new church on the same corner. We, we don't want to give up our location. And they said, here's the new church we want you to build. And this, that's a picture of it. So the new church, the, the rules were, your skyscraper cannot touch our church. There can't be any shared space, any shared entrances, no touchy. Now, good luck. And so Le Messurier took this as a challenge. He said, All right, we'll figure this out. So they elevated the building 100 feet on the stilts so that the corner of the church actually passes under the bottom floor of the building. It's crazy. It's amazing. But the building looks like it should not stand, doesn't it? It looks like you could just, a toddler could just push it over <laughs> with a finger. But Le Miserier did the math. He, he passed all the inspections and all the codes, and they built this thing. Two years after the building was built and occupied, an, an undergraduate architectural student wrote a dissertation on this building in which she claimed that a 40-mile-an-hour quartering wind, a wind that hits the corner of the building, a 40-mile-an-hour quartering wind would knock this thing over. She turned this into a professor. Somehow, the, the paper got passed on to Le Messurier, the architect. Now, he could have just said... Undergraduate architectural student, what does she know? She doesn't know anything. I'm not. I'm not going to read that. But he read it, and he checked her math, and she was right. And he started to panic, and he thought, she's she's actually right. A, A quartering wind of 40 miles an hour would knock this building over. I wonder how often New York gets winds of 40 miles an hour. So he did his weather history research, and he found that once every 16 years, New York City gets a 40 mile an hour wind on average, once every 16 years. So every year that this building stood, it had already stood for two years, there was a 1 in 16 chance that it was going to be blown over in the wind. So he goes to the owners of the building, and he says, we have a small problem. <laughs> we, we could potentially see this building fall and kill thousands of people, or we could fix this. And they said, I think we should fix it. But let's don't tell anybody. We don't want to start a panic. Let's just keep this quiet. Let's keep it out of the papers. Oh, and it just so happened that the New York City newspapers were on strike at this time, so they dodged a huge bullet there. They didn't tell anybody what they were doing, and at night, uh, the welders would come in, and they were welding patches over the joints on the trusses. This was going to solve the problem. Shortly after the repair project got started, a tropical storm developed in the Atlantic Ocean that was headed right for New York. And the weather forecasters began to predict it was going to make landfall on Manhattan Island in a couple days. So they ramp up the welding schedule and the guys are working overtime and they've, they've called in extra people and they're not going to get it done. And I can just imagine this, this architect and the building owner, the, the handful of people that knew about this problem, just sweating through every night, never sleeping because if this storm hits, this building could collapse and kill thousands of people. By the grace of God, the storm on the last day took a turn back out to the ocean, never hit Manhattan. And the welders were able to finish the project and the building is still standing today. But you got to think about what could have happened. The disaster this could have been. Because this guy put a lot of confidence in his math because he really only accounted for the winds that were going to hit the, the flat surfaces of the building. He didn't He didn't spend as much time thinking about the quartering winds because that's usually not a problem for skyscrapers. But one that's built on stilts has a different set of issues. And this great disaster was just barely avoided because they were willing to do the work and they got a little lucky. I don't know about you, but I don't want to count on luck. I don't want to count on luck. To keep my house from falling down. Because you understand, if your house falls, it's just like if this skyscraper falls, you're not going to be the only one impacted by that, are you? If your house falls, it's going to impact everyone around you. This is not just about you. You've already seen this. You've already seen that the cracks in your character that we talked about before have an impact on the people around you. These patterns of destructive behavior that continue to show up and and you say, I can't believe I did that again and I thought I was past that and I should know better and you've already seen these cracks begin to affect the people around you and if your house falls, great will be the fall of it and you're not the only one that's going to suffer. This is not just about you. So, we need a changed heart. It's only a changed heart that weathers the storm and how do we open the door for Jesus to change our heart? Because you can't change it Yourself. I hope you know that. I hope you also know that you can't change the heart of the people in your life, the people sitting next to you that you just wish, you wish you could just reach in and squeeze it and do something, make some, you know, you can't. Only God can change hearts. But we can open the door for him to do it in our lives. And we do that by saying your kingdom first, your will be done, not mine. I trust you, God. Or at least I'm just going to trust you today that your way is what's best for me. And I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to trust you tomorrow. Your will, your way is what's best. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Uh, Anybody up for a challenge? Check your foundation. Are you willing to read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 this week? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, because I think you guys are above average uh, on the most part. I'm looking out and seeing a lot of smart people, successful people, beautiful people. What if we read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 every day this week? You up for that? It's Ten minutes, right? Ten minutes. And here's what I want you to do. I, I want, as you read through this this week, I want you to begin to think about your life and how does your life match up with what Jesus is setting out for us. In this sermon, Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at another person with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. What, What does Jesus seem more concerned about? Us checking off the laws we didn't break? or the condition of our hearts. So as we read through this, it's going to be a gut check, it's going to be a heart check, where you are really going to be challenged to look at the cracks in your character and answer this call that Jesus gives to us to say, your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine, but yours. Will you do this with me this week? Are you in? Just, Just, if you're in, just don't do anything. Don't move a muscle, just stare right back at me and I'll know that you're in perfect. It's everybody. We're all in. All right, great. You just made a commitment. Thank you so much. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 every day this week, and and look, and look for opportunities to open your heart up to being changed by Jesus, so that you know you're building on the rock and not on sand, because there's only two choices. If it's not Jesus, it's sand, and the storms will let you know. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the challenge this morning. I want to build my house on a rock, and not, not just because I think it's what's best for me, but God, I think it's what's best for my wife and, and my kids and my community and my church family. And I pray that you would help me this week to really examine the, the, the cracks in my character that may point to a bad foundation. And, and God, help me to open up to Jesus changing my heart. God, may, may every day this week I just wake up with a desire to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done with a desire to seek first your kingdom above my own. And when I do that, God, I just trust that you can change my heart. You can turn me into someone who is building on a rock. And you can give me a life that's not gonna be knocked over when the storm comes. I believe that your way is the best way. And I trust you. And I pray this for my brothers and sisters here today. Would you put those same words on our lips? Your way is best, and I trust you. And as we do this, God, I believe that we're going to put ourselves in a position to be used by you to point others to Jesus. And we pray that you would do that in and through us. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus not only told us the best way to live, he actually showed us the best way to live. It's not enough just to give a good sermon and have it be recorded in the gospel of Matthew, he, he also demonstrated for us what it looks like to live a life that says, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. So on the, on the night before he was crucified in the garden, when he's thinking about what he's about to endure and experience on behalf of you and me, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours. And it was that prayer that decision that led to the freedom from sin and the hope of heaven for you and me. It was because Jesus was willing to say, your kingdom come, your will be done, that he went to the cross and he endured the suffering and he endured the separation from God and he bore your sins and my sins so that you and I could be set free. His body was broken there, his blood was shed there so that you and I could find refuge in him, so that you and I could have lives built on the rock. And today we celebrate that as we do every Sunday here at Cicero Christian Church with the body and blood of Jesus. As the bread and juice come by, I encourage you to take the bread, take the juice. Hold on to that for a moment and just tell God thank you for this incredible sacrifice. Tell him thank you for Jesus's willingness to put God's will first in his life. He showed us the way and it saved us. Let's honor him with this time. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for my sins. It was my only hope. And on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, God, we're so grateful to have this opportunity to share this meal with you. And we pray that you'll be honored with the way that we remember Christ and his sacrifice at this time. In his name we pray. Amen.